The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of its hosts, guests, or callers, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of WTBR-FM, its management, other producers, or sponsors. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsfield. So thanks for tuning in. And today we have with us uh, Dr. Gina Coleman, the <laughs> Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for the Breen Center, a behavioral health agency serving children and adults throughout Berkshire County. She also previously served as the Associate Dean of Students and Associate Director of admission and the director of diversity recruitment at Williams College Mm -hmm. for 15 years. She continues to work at (laughs) Williams College as the head women's rugby coach, a position she's held since 1996. Wow. And Dr. (laughs) Coleman is also familiar to you all for another reason. In 1999, she founded Misty Blues, an internationally recognized group which plays blues mixed with funk, gospel, and classic rock. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat. Uh, Dr. Coleman, welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) All right, so we're going to take it uh, back in the day, and we kind of have a link (laughs) somewhat because uh, it's the Bronx, right? And you grew up in the South Bronx, and your grandmother, she raised you. Yes. All right, so tell me where in the Bronx did you grow up? So as far south as you can get, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the projects I lived in over overlooked Randall's Island. Okay. So um, 137th between Brook and St. Anne's okay. al- along the six. The six line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And what are some of your fondest memories of your childhood? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, you know, it's, it was such a different time. There, yeah, there, we were like painfully unsupervised. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, considering how kind of harrowing yeah. Yeah, my environment was, we, there was n- not a lot of like intense supervision. Yeah. Like for my own children it, <laughs> here in the Berkshires, I, I know where they are at every moment. Isn't it That's crazy? That's not the case back then. And, you know, having grown up in the Bronx also, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think having grown up in a city environment mm-hmm. is very different because I think about I was taking public transportation, like like buses, trains, yeah. connecting um, at a young age. Absolutely. And I knew where to go. We didn't have cell phones. No. And you were trusted to get there and to come home. At, at, to come home at a certain at time. At a certain time. <laughs> I mean, and you knew to do that. <laughs> And it just was. And so the, you're absolutely right about the, the supervision aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, as someone who grew up in the Bronx, sometimes I hear people who are not from the Bronx or maybe they have ideas about what the Bronx is about. And mm-hmm. they'll say, the Bronx. Wow. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm like, what do you think is actually happening in the Bronx? Yeah. But did you actually find that same like those same perspectives when you left the community and you went out and people were like, you're from the Bronx? And they had all these assumptions about you? Oh, no, certainly. I mean, there's there's this idea that the Bronx is just, I mean, it's not the same yeah. burning of the Bronx, right. like actually when I grew up. Um, so uh, there is this yeah. notion where we're just encapsulized in mm. that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, you know, it's kind of bougie. 
<laughs> it is. And yeah. But, I, but that's a whole that's different a story. That's a whole different story. I heard through the grapevine that they're trying to call parts of the Bronx, the South Bronx, Sobro. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That is so wrong. That is so wrong. That's like calling Riverdale the Bronx. First of all, Riverdale does not acknowledge that it's the Bronx. Let's just be clear about that. Riverdale always said it was Riverdale. Right. Right? Like, Riverdale, come on. You're the Bronx. You're the Bronx, Riverdale. Yeah, but, but you're not. But you're. But Riverdale has always said we're Riverdale, <laughs> right? That's right. Horace Mann, mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah, Fieldston. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're Riverdale. Um, you know, and so coming from the Bronx and also growing up in a time where hip hop was basically growing up too. Mm-hmm. Hip hop is celebrating its golden anniversary this year, yeah. and how does it? feel to actually be a part of because we know it's like a culture yeah how does it feel to be a part to actually be in the culture see it get to this point do you ever think that there was any thought that this little music genre from the bronx could have elevated to such platforms that it's worldwide it's unimaginable no that it is unimaginable i mean i remember like my best friend evelyn her her brother was a dj manny man <laughs> and we would just look out our project windows mm-hmm. down to the play yard mm-hmm. down below and see everyone gathering and spinning and emceeing and it was just our neighborhood thing. Yeah. I had no idea that it was actually beyond my own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just yeah, just what people were doing to, you know, right. spend some time. <laughs> I know it I think when we when I think looking back at it and seeing different stages and I think your memories of hip hop like you have you'll have your own distinct memories and I think I come in at a certain generation mm-hmm. too yeah. And I still remember when it was not okay to sort of do commercials if you were um, an artist because you were looked at as selling out. Yeah. And I remember the first commercial that kind of had street cred was a Sprite commercial. Mm, yeah. When they did like the Cypher. Okay. Yep. And yep. it was like, <laughs> that was kind of like, okay, but there was there was this feeling like if you did TV, if you did any of these other things, you were not sort of like legitimate. And yep. LL Cool J was the first one to really, <laughs> <laughs> to really go out and um, and to to cross over, so to speak. But like hip hop and salsa, you actually mm-hmm. have said have oh, been the yeah. soundtrack. So you yeah. do you dance salsa? Yeah, I, I dance. I, I used to be in a Latin drum corps. Really, El Primer Grupo de Batuteras Chilitos y Su Banda. I can't even do you. <laughs> you so obviously you're fluent. Uh, yeah. Ah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not anymore because I'm not immersed. Um, but yeah, my neighborhood was predominantly Puerto Rican. Yeah, um, and um, everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like all the all the merchants mm-hmm. were were. Spanish. I yes. mean, you know, Senor Morales had the bodega across the of street. Course. And of course. He knew perfect English, yes. but he would not sell you anything until you asked for it in Spanish. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He wanted you to be bilingual. <laughs> he just wanted it his, his way. His and way. And he could. And he could. It was his store. That was, that's right. You don't you like know, the rules? We, you leave. Yeah, you, if, you want, if you want something, you're going to have to go like 
three blocks some, mm. to some other neighborhood to get it. Mm. And like, that was unheard of. Mm. <laughs> it was so weird how we stayed yeah, in a block. We did. And, I mean, we really didn't have to venture further than two blocks mm-hmm. to get all yeah. of our needs met. Yeah. it The sense of community that... I believe the Bronx um, represented so much community. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I know for me, like the church that I grew up in, it was in the South Bronx. Mm -hmm. It was um, off of uh, 149th and T-Bout. So off Mm -hmm. of Fordham Road. So like you take the 41 bus, walk down, walk up Fordham Road, go down the side streets. (laughs) And I remember we're talking the 80s now and there was still stuff going on. But to your point about... You didn't even recognize it. Like, it just was. You literally, there could have been a ton of things happening around you, but I never once felt unsafe. It just was my community. That was it. I did feel unsafe at points. Well, I think we kind of knew where to go. Yes. And where not Not to to go. go. Like, you have have street smarts. You definitely, that's something that comes with it when you are from the city. You learn where to go, where not to go, because it's it's survival. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was my biggest issue when I left, Mm -hmm. you know, because I actually, I left... Um, to go to high school. Okay. Um, I was a scholarship recipient. Oh. Um, uh, f- it's a program called A Better Chance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a national uh, program that gives gifted minority students mm-hmm. a chance to go to some of the best secondary and private schools mm-hmm. in the country. So yep. I actually went. I I I lived in a house on on the Wellesley College campus. Oh. With five other uh, scholarship recipients, and we went to Wellesley High School, which okay. is one of the top you know, ten public high schools in the country. Now, before you get into that, did your grand? How did your grandmother find out about this program? Mrs. Brown, mm-hmm. my elementary school teacher, she was my third grade teacher and my sixth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Brown told my grandmother that I needed to go to a. Uh, junior high school that was outside of my district because they were linked up with this scholarship program. Mm. And they would give me a better chance to get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and so my grandmother took Mrs. Brown's, you know, advice as Mm -hmm. gospel. And she's like, well, got to go. So that meant I had to, you know, I had to walk like a mile, take two buses to get to this junior high school so that I could apply for this scholarship program, which uh, thankfully I was able to do. Mm. Um, And so I lived in the scholarship house um, with five other uh, scholarship recipients, Mm -hmm. uh, all all female. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had residential directors, uh, a newly married couple. Mm -hmm. They had just graduated from... Williams College, <laughs> and they were doing their MBAs at Harvard. So the only college trip yeah. I went on was, was to Williams College, and that's how that linked me to the Berkshires. Now, I have to ask, coming from the Bronx mm-hmm. and being in this setting, how did you take to it? It was hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wellesley at the time, there, there was only one African-American family, the Herds, Dr. and Dr. Hurd. Wow. Yeah. That's it. So my transition to Williams, it, it that place felt like, you know. You're the, in the, the bastion of diversity. Know, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why everyone else is complaining. This 
this is this like is great. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like if you only knew where I have been, exactly, then you would know my story. <laughs> I know, but you wow. know, but when I went, so when I went away to high school, yeah. every time I came back on a break, mm-hmm. it's like I, I lost my. Mm. You know, I, I I lost that kind of hypersensitivity, like like that those the spidey edge. those spidey senses. Uh huh. <laughs> the edge. So yeah. So yeah. I, you know, the longer I was away, yeah, uh, the more unsafe I felt coming back. Yeah, I'm like they can feel it. They can sense that I my guard has been and down. And did they know where you were? Uh, who knows? Because that's that's another thing too. If they knew that you had gone away mm-hmm. for this program, if they knew, so it's one thing. You always have the ones who say, "Go ahead and make the best of it," and then you have ones who are like, "Hmm, yeah." And you're right. You saw another way of life. Yeah. And in many ways, it exposed you to what could be. Yeah. But it also opened your eyes to what but, was around yeah. you. Exactly. Because when you're in it, you don't see it. You don't. Until you're out of it. You don't. I mean, every time I came home for the summers, the, the first part of the summer was really hard. Yeah. And then I acclimated and the tail end of the summer was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm starting to feel normal again. Mm. I'm starting to feel like I, you know. Did I you talk different? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that chameleon syndrome, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I just... Mm-hmm. Um, that was hard. That was that was the first thing I needed to kind of shake myself of. Right. Uh, when I came back. Right. Uh, so that I wouldn't look you know, like a, you know, wouldn't stick out like a right. sore thumb. Right. Because they would say, why are you talking like that? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Right. Mm. You too good for us? Right. Yeah. And, isn't, and isn't that the thing like, yeah, it's, it's a weird thought process, right? That sometimes certain aspirations yeah. and achievements get mm-hmm. linked with certain things um you know i saw that too growing up i went to school so my grandmother's house was on the um board of Mount Vernon mm-hmm. and the bronx so i ended up going to elementary school in Mount Vernon. okay and i've always talked like this yeah <laughs> <laughs> my, my voice really has not changed that yeah. much yeah so um yeah i got it yeah I, I i got the brunt of um of of folks picking on me at times but um but yeah i i i totally understand how that could open up your mindset to the possibility so you tore williams college mm-hmm. was it love at first sight oh yeah i i i remember my first trip, because Williams College at the time also had an ABC chapter. Okay. So we went, you know, mm-hmm. the ABC kids from Wellesley, and we stayed with the ABC kids from Williamstown. Uh-huh. Um, it was a, a lovely little house on Hoxie Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it was great. You know, it was okay. other scholarship recipients. We were in the same boat, you know, kind of the same, um, you know, we were all in the same trajectory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, then we took a little trip down Spring Street, which is really the only street. Right. Uh, and I went to uh, Goff's, okay. um, which is the, the college store. Uh-huh. And I uh, there on the sales rack, there was this yellow T-shirt uh-huh. that had the, the emblem, the Williams, Williams College emblem. And I had just enough money. And I bought that T-shirt and I folded it up and I put it in yeah. my in my bureau and yeah. I said I'm not going to wear this t-shirt until I get into this school. Mm. And then 3 years later 
You got in. Lo and behold. Yeah. I got still it. have that T-shirt. Do you? Yeah. It's shameful to wear it out in public, though. Mm. <laughs> See, we're not going to touch that one. Uh-uh. That's a trap. That is a trap. I still fit in it. <laughs> Barely. Then listen, there's no judgment here. There's no judgment. Um, But isn't that symbolic of you were, you basically said, this is my school. Yeah. And I'm going to buy this because I know that you're going to be my school. Yeah. And you worked hard at it because you knew that T-shirt was in the draw. Yeah. And in order for you to put that T-shirt on proudly and wear it. Right. You had to do the work. I would have given it away if I didn't. Mm. I would have. So after that trip, yeah. I went back to my high school. Now Wellesley, Wellesley High School. Yeah, <laughs> weird place. Uh-huh. I mean, it's really one. Wellesley is one of the most affluent towns yeah. in the state, and Lord knows, probably the country. Yeah. Um, and there, the faculty there, yeah, are all like PhDs. They mm-hmm. they were all former faculty mm-hmm. at. BC, BU, Northeastern, because the town could pay them more than the colleges could. Wow. So pretty much all of my high school teachers were PhDs. <laughs> that just, I actually, the thought just actually dawned on me, like what you've just said. Yeah. The town could pay mm-hmm. them more yes. than the college. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, in essence, almost went to like private school. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So when I came back from my my trip visiting um, Williams, I went to my English teacher, Mrs. Goddard, Jeannie Goddard, mm-hmm. I remember her. Um, and I said, I, I, I know where I want to go to college. Yeah. And she's like, where? She's like, Williams College. Yeah. Like, and she looked at me and she's like, all right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is it a good school? She's like, it's one of the best. Yeah. And I'm like, well, good. I picked a good one then. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, all right, I'll put you on the road. I'll put you on the road. Mm. And she was, she just worked with me and uh, she had great connections. Her husband was an alum of Williams. And so she really guided me um, in how to just kind of traverse my high school years and maximize that so that I could get into the school. Such belief, though, the fact that when you when you say her name, mm-hmm. you, you smile. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't doesn't that say something about the power of educators who go the distance yeah. and they not only do their work to to educate you, but they invest in you yeah. that to this day. When you say her mm-hmm. name, the warmth comes over you and you <laughs> smile and and you remember her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she remembers me. Mm. It wasn't too long ago that, you know, we we were communicating mm-hmm. through social media. That's, that's so awesome. So you you started Williams in the late 1980s as an undergrad, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and so you had basically, you know, we talked about your time at Wellesley. So, you know, Williams was like, you know, diversity central for you. <laughs> for me. But did, did you find that there were some adjustments that you had to make in other ways to get acclimated to your new community? Yeah, you know, my transition to, to Williams was it, it was a little difficult because uh-huh. my entire life had been setting these goals uh-huh. and I never really set a goal beyond Williams. So when I got there, yeah. I was kind of lost. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself 
beyond William. Right. So it was like getting into Williams yeah. was the goal. Was the goal. And and then, I mean, the resources at Williams uh, at the time were not what they are now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now that I have yeah. my oldest is at Williams now. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, there were, you know, weren't a lot of people around to guide someone like myself mm. on how to, you know, traverse that landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of floundered and really? just... You know, I'm, you know, I graduated in four years, but that was a rough four years. But you mentioned the the ABC mm-hmm. contingent. Did you guys form your own sort of ad hoc support system or do y'all would just say we're all going to go it alone? Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, I've been, there's a book called uh, Whistling Vivaldi. OK. Uh, written by Claude Steele. Mm-hmm. And it. It's, you know, a real database book on, um, you know, like stereotype mm-hmm. threat and so forth. Mm-hmm. And he, he, in this book, he talks about study habits of different, you know, racial groups. Yeah. And one failing point about African-Americans yeah. is that we isolate ourselves in mm. college. We don't find a community to help us hmm. bear the weight of the work like um asian asian communities yeah. they they study together yeah. and there's a collective and the the, the mind power yeah. um that elevates the entire group but on a whole oh. african-americans squirrel away and hide really and 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 try to get through on their own there might be an uh, listen, I'm not the, the man has written this whole entire book, so I'm not trying to add to it. <laughs> but my own thought would be, I'm wondering if there is that feeling of I can do it. I have what it takes. Mm-hmm. I'm competent. Yeah. I don't need anyone to show me and and maybe not even one to risk being perceived as not having the ability to do it you got it right there. you know and that's exactly what came out of that research mm. <laughs> i say that as someone like having got like so I, I i went my undergrad i went to nyu and i'm thankful because i went you know the late 90s mm-hmm. and we there were we, we nyu is a huge school yeah but there were many times I was the only black person in a class. And I'm like, this can't be New York City. I grew up in the, what, what is this? Come on, NYC. Yeah. But NYU is a world unto its own. Yeah. And and so we did have, like, they had Alana, like, groups mm-hmm. like that, right? So yeah. that you would have um, a contingent of other black students, Latino students, like, all of that, like, um, Asian, Pacific, mm-hmm. everyone coming together. So there was this kind of, like, support system um, that was that was in place. Um, and I do remember some late night study sessions. Um, but I don't think I've ever, I ever observed... Um, individuals staying apart i don't know maybe we were just so happy that we were there i think people branched off into their own groups but i could see how some could think that because there is an overarching perception among some based on stereotypes right yeah of what you can and can't do so why should that person then who has made it to that level will probably (laughs) say well why i don't want to feed into that yeah and so then they actually hurt themselves by clustering 
to yeah. themselves. Yeah, and I mean you, that collective, mm. that mind collective is so their strength. That, that yeah, just incredible strength. Mm. And that no one guided me in 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 that regard. That's why I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to be one of the associate deans of students at Williams. So you were going to talk about yeah. that because <laughs> the, you you have an awesome perspective, but mm-hmm. I don't want to, before before we get to that, because there were a lot of stuff that happened at Williams before you left and before you decided to stay in the Berkshire. So before we get to that part, <laughs> but I want to know about your sports like your sports career at Williams, mm, yeah. were you sort of like you played all kind of sports? No, I I played rugby and ice hockey. <laughs> you have to tell me how did you decide the girl from the Bronx mm-hmm. to say I'm going to play rugby and ice hockey? Yeah, I didn't decide. It just kind of <laughs> fell upon me. It, well, in high school, I I. I played softball. Okay. I was a catcher. Okay. Um, so that's kind of a similar, because I was a goalie, mm-hmm. uh, ice hockey goalie. Okay. And they, uh, the team was in need of another goalie, and they heard I was a catcher, and they asked, like, do you skate? I'm like, I roller skate. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're like, okay, that's good enough. <laughs> and so they, uh, some of the captains took me to... Um, the rink in North Adams, yeah. Memorial Rink, you know, f- weeks before the season started, and they just worked on my skating. Uh, and they're like, okay, all right. <laughs> and that is and how that's, you- that's how I got into ice hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that was my freshman year, and the, the makeup of the ice hockey team was <laughs> the rugby team offseason. So, uh, hmm. okay. instead of, so I was just really kind of buying my time yeah. um, in the fall, waiting for the spring to come by so I could play softball. Right. And then, um, and then I got pulled into ice hockey and they're just amazing women. Uh, and I'm like, wow, okay, maybe I should, you know, kind of give this rugby thing, uh, 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 you know, some consideration, but I kind of, I really kind of pushed it off because I didn't know anything yeah. uh, about rugby. But my my um, my junior advisor in my dorm uh-huh. um, was a captain of the rugby team. Yeah, and she kept on pushing. You got to come down to practice. Got to come down to practice. And I'm like, mm. I kept on pushing her off. Yeah. And then one day. Right during practice time, I guess she was had to do something else and came in uh, to the dorm yeah. to get her cleats to go off. And she's like, why are you here? You're not doing anything. Come down. I'm like, stop it. I'm not like everybody else here at Williams coming from great means mm-hmm. and what have you. I don't own a horse. Mm-hmm. And yep. she's like, what? what is what does that have to do with rugby? <laughs> See, I, in my mind, thought rugby was polo. Oh. <laughs> and she's like, all you need are some cleats and a mouth guard, and I'll get you the mouth guard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, okay. <laughs> that is so funny because that reminds me of a story that Deval Patrick had in his book where he said, like, I think he had just started prep school. And they said that you needed to wear a suit, and he went to the event in like a tracksuit. 
<laughs> that's because awesome. That's, it it, it yeah. just goes to show when you don't have the point of reference, yeah. right? When you are introduced into new worlds, yes. your point of reference is going to be your point of reference <laughs> until it's cleared up. <laughs> So, yeah, I was avoiding her wow. and, you know, the urgings that for me to join the rugby yeah. team. I was like, I don't, I don't even know if I like horses. <laughs> well, since you found out you didn't need a horse, then you were like, all right. All right. So, I, so then I went, I think it was like the next day yeah. or maybe, maybe even that same day. Yeah. She's like, come on, let's just go. Now, is rugby, in my mind, rugby is like, it's contact sport and yeah. it's just, it's kind of rough and kind of... Hard, hard charging kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you got You have to be able to give it and take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can give it and. That's take right. It. Okay, okay. <laughs> Listen, to be able to do ice hockey and rugby, that's like that's some serious stuff. Um, all right, so you have this great experience at Williams. Mm-hmm. You graduate in 1990, mm-hmm. and you decide to stay in the Berkshires, and you move to Pittsfield about yeah. a year later. What made you stay in the Berkshires and not move back to the city? Well, you know, that's that whole thing. I never set a goal after Williams, so it came to the, you know, I'm like about to graduate, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and the thought of going back mm-hmm. You know, to the Bronx, it it, it unnerved me because mm-hmm. I'm like, I've been here too long. Right. Um, I so I picked it. up a Berkshire Eagle mm-hmm. and uh, and I saw a position at um, Hillcrest Educational mm-hmm. Centers for a child development counselor. OK. Um, and uh, I, I I applied for it um, shortly after they moved me into yeah. uh, a teacher's aid position because mm-hmm. you know it wasn't williams alone. right um made a whopping 696 an hour with my degree you remember that oh i vividly mm. <laughs> wow wow i'm like i think back on it i'm like how did i survive on that how did you lots of overtime mm. <laughs> I don't think there was a week that I, you know, I didn't work, you know, wow. 70, 75 hours in the week. 70, 75 hours? Yeah. Had to. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess this feeds back into the not having a plan kind of thing, because did you not, did you ever envision that's what you would be doing post-graduation? No. No. No, but I didn't envision anything. Huh. I mean, that was that the, that great void. That was the lack of, you know, someone helping me, guiding me mm. through through those years. There was there was really no guidance. That's an interesting thing that you say because it's almost like, do you think you got comfortable in the guidance that had helped to steer you in the direction? Mm-hmm. And then once you once they realized you've got it, yeah. you're good on your own. Mm-hmm. But there's some kind of dependency in yeah. some way yeah. on that guidance that had steered you yeah. to where you are. Yeah. Mm. But you know, there, there's a code cracking that happens in these institutions that yeah. I was not privy to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um but you know what though when I think about when you mention your start, you know, and we all have to start somewhere and I sometimes we have some really really tough lessons, but I think that it's in the tough lessons that we have our greatest our greatest impact because the fact that you remember exactly how much you made Mm -hmm. right that's (laughs) i don't think you'll ever forget that amount but it reminds you of the struggle 
Yeah. And you're at a point in your life where obviously things are different, but it reminds you of that struggle and where you've been, how far you've come. Yeah. Right. Um, another good thing, a good reason why you, you know, we're happy to that you stayed in the Berkshires because you went to open mic yeah. one night. <laughs> yes. And you went to this open mic thinking, hmm. I'm just going to do this and that's going to be it. And you ended up singing a Mm -hmm. Janis Joplin tune. That's right. And you were good. But you were surprised that you were going to be so well received. Why were you surprised? Uh, Because I wasn't a singer. (laughs) I mean, I I was a musician. I mean, I, I... I played piano from the age of five. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I was a percussionist mm-hmm. and so forth. But I, I, I didn't have, you know, any sense of of, of having a voice. Had you ever sang publicly before? No, I, I mean once uh, at Williams, yeah. I, I took a Sandra Burton course on uh, the Harlem Renaissance, uh-huh. and there was like this performance piece, and actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a blues song I sang. Aha, like I, you know, this is, I think the first time I'm really thinking about this. It was a Bessie Smith tune. Huh. Um, St. Louis Blues. I'm pretty certain it was. Um, that, Look at and that. I, yeah, and I and I sang I sang that song as part of a, you know, the capstone mm-hmm. performance piece for this for this winter study course that mm-hmm. I I took with uh, Sandra Burton. Who happens to be my son's favorite teacher? Sandra Burton is awesome. <laughs> she is awesome and legendary. Yeah. yeah, and she and I look older than Sandra now. Oh gosh, <laughs> really? Really? I'm like, what is happening here? Really? <laughs> what, Gina? <laughs> Gina? Oh my goodness! Well, listen, I in 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 all fairness, she's also a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. kind of No, go, she treats her body much better than I do. I mean, <laughs> remember you got you listen, remember that rugby. I, mean, I know that. You are the head women's the head coach for the women's rugby team at Williams College, a position you've had for nearly 30 years. You have taken some hits. <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> All right, listen, for my guests just tuning in, um, or my listeners just tuning in, I should say, my guest today is Gina Coleman. And she, um, the one you might know her from her uh, her musical artistry with Misty Blues, but she's also um, a dynamic professional in the world of DEI. And she has been the head, um, the head coach for the women's uh, rugby team at Williams College for nearly 30 years. So she was taking us down a walk um, on memory lane. <laughs> and um, we're going get, to get into a little bit of her musical um, artistry because there's so much. Misty Blues had a fantastic year in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of reasons. Um, but before we get into that, how did you even choose the name Misty Blues? All right. So um, I had another band. Um, in the Berkshires in the early 90s. Yeah, I do recall yeah. reading about that. Yeah, Cold Connection. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, we we played, I, I, what did we call her? Like acoustic funk? I think <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we were. Um, it was, I mean, 
we had a great time. Yeah, that was a that was a really fun band. Yeah, um, and but then members of the band were like kind of moving mm-hmm. on and moving out of the area, and it was like getting a little trickier to mm. like kind of uh, wrangle some dates and yeah. have solid players in place. And, and um, the summer of '99, I um, I was reached out to by someone in the Williamstown Theater Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing the first African American production. Okay. Um, you know, like all like predom the, the you know like ninety five percent of the cast yeah. was African American. Was that Raisin in the Sun? It was Raisin in the mm-hmm. Sun, mm-hmm. and the director, um, kind of at the last minute, thought, you know, this would be great to have a like a gospel singer mm. um, you know, performing during the transition of the acts. Yeah. And he envisioned this fire escape um, that would run along the side of the main stage and then the, and then the catwalk across the top of the main stage. So on the side, I would sit on the steps, these iron steps on the side of the stage throughout the entire production. And then when the acts changed... I would climb up the stairs and then traverse across the top of the catwalk of the main stage and sing these gospel tunes and divert the eyes of the audience ah, away from the changing of the scene. Right. Um, and so that was that was my gig. And uh, so someone reached out to me because <laughs> there really were no other African American singers in the Berkshire. <laughs> Where can she be? I know. I'm like, well, I just so happen to live in Williamstown. <laughs> So it was just amazing fortune there. Okay. Okay. And uh, that cast was killer. Yeah. Ruben Santiago Hudson. Yeah. He is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Viola Davis. No way. She was the lead actress. What? I know. Before Viola Davis was, was Viola, Viola Davis. Davis. Uh-huh. Viola Davis owes me five dollars, by the way. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, we would go to chopsticks and get sushi together. You know, yeah, she was really cool. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but she bet me mm-hmm. that we wouldn't get a standing ovation every show, and we did. You did. Do you have any pictures from that time? Because that would be so awesome. I know. I do have an autograph poster. Oh. Uh, of the entire Tired cast. Cares. Kimberly Elise? Yes. Was in that production? Who wasn't in that production? Um, Gloria Foster. <laughs> okay, Gloria Foster. All right, okay. Gloria Foster. Do you know The Matrix? Yes. The the Oracle with yes. the cookies? Yes. That's Gloria Foster. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was just such an... And here, another local link. Uh, Joan Sneed's son. Okay. Was the young child in the in the play? Oh my gosh! See, we didn't get to the Berkshires until 2010. Yeah. So this was before our time. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. It was. I mean, what a great show! But I you need to. Bring yeah. It back. So the first, and I'm not a theater person, mm-hmm. so all of that. There's lots of little rituals that yeah. happen in the theater that I was not privy to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just the fact that they have someone dress you. I can dress myself. They had someone dress you. Yeah. They're dressers. Oh. That's a role. That's a role. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm like, I'm fully capable. I'm sorry, but this is my job. Did you say I got this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, hey. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they, yeah, they backed <laughs> off of me after a while. I was just like, I can put on my own clothes. Do you know? <laughs> I am the head coach. <laughs> okay. All right. But so the first night, yeah, the first night yeah. of, of the show, it was great. I mean, everything just went off as planned. Yeah. And I changed out of my clothes before the dresser could get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started bounding out of the, the, the side the door. Yeah. And I opened the door and there it was a mob scene. Just hundreds of people just swarming around waiting mm. to see the the actors come yes. out and you know kind of get a photo op yes. or something like that and they didn't do selfies back then no but yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. like the phones couldn't handle it back then we didn't yeah, have phones we didn't, like we didn't that. have phones like that yeah <laughs> it was like big honking cameras <laughs> yeah exactly um and so i just i saw this wall of people and i recoiled and i ran back into the theater, and I'm like, what is going on out there? Why is there... Calm down. The people... It's just the people who saw the show. They want to see... And I'm like, okay. All right. So... I go back mm-hmm. out and I'm scanning and yeah. people are like, oh, you know, I'm like <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. And I'm scanning the, the you know, the crowd and I find a friend and yeah. I linked on to them and I can't even remember who it was. And um, I, I looked at my friend. I'm like, this is a, this is insane. Yeah, this is really insane. And it's like, oh, yeah, but you were great. What have you? You know, and then all of a sudden this woman comes barreling through like the parting of the Red Sea yeah. and comes charging at me. And she's like, oh, my God, you were wonderful. My husband is dying to meet you. And I'm like, oh, OK, okay. wait right here. I'll be right back. And I turn to my friend. I'm like, this is bananas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, this woman comes back through, and in through you can see her arm behind her. She's yes. pulling this gentleman, and as he appears, it's Mandy Patinkin. What? Um, yeah, you know, like was it Chicago Hope and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like Diego yeah, yeah. Montoya? Yeah. You killed my father. Prepared to die. You know, yes. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin. Wow. Uh, and I, wasn't he in Fiddler on the Roof? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I'm just standing there with my mouth hanging open, and he's just like, you were fantastic. Wow. He's like, here's my card. Do you have any music? Send it to me. I did. Yeah. Nothing ever came of it. But, <clears throat> but still, it was still just still incredible. To have that experience yeah. as a newbie. Yeah. Yeah. In the That's theater. That's huge. Yeah, like, yeah. In the theater. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because the fact is that when you saw all the attention, you were like, wait, yeah, yeah. what is going on what right now? This? Yeah. <laughs> but that means you're good. So, yeah, goodness, this takes so me you, down another path. But you could have had a career in theater. I guess. I don't know. It's, it's, that's really foreign to me. <laughs> but yeah, um, during that time yeah. mm-hmm. when we were rehearsing, the next play was going on. And that was Gwyneth Paltrow's play. And oh. that was the year she had just received the oscar yeah so there was a big so she was always in the theater and she yeah i would run into her and she's like oh girl you're so good and i'm like oh thank you was this when she came out with was this shakespeare in love i'm trying (laughs) to yes okay yeah 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 yeah. that's what she yeah yeah that's right on the heels of that wow yeah what a time so that yeah so at the end of that run ruben santiago hudson came to me and he's like girl you gotta stop that folk 
acoustic funk nonsense you're doing. And I'm like, oh my gosh. He's like, he gave me the CD collection called Men Are Like Streetcars. Yeah. It's a two-disc collection of all female blues singers mm-hmm. from like, you know, the early 20s to the mid-60s. Yeah. And I consume that CD collection in short order, and I'm like, it was transformative. Mm. And so I went back to the few guys in Cold Connection. I'm like, yeah. let's change everything up. Let's become a blues band. <sighs> and the and the guys were like, yeah, cool. I li- we like the blues. And I'm like, all right. And it was really off the top of my head right then and there. I'm like, let's go buy Misty Blues. And that was it. Off the top of your head? Just off the top of my head. Misty blues yeah mm. and the the the, the cold connection folks they were like we're good we're gonna switch gears and yeah. just become misty blues yeah and did everyone from cold connection stay with misty blues all that was left from cold connection okay yeah so that was just my guitarist at the time which is jason webster yeah. and my bass player mm. um bill patrickwin mm. um and then uh, then I brought in uh, a drummer, Dan Tykert. Okay. And so we did it as a, like a four-piece. Wow. And then it just kind of grew. <laughs> wow. There's, oh, wow. Mm. Well, what a story. When you think about your early, the early days of Misty Blues, mm-hmm. and you think about it now, how has your sound evolved since then? Well, I mean, the early days of Misty Blues, we were primarily a cover band for that mm, CD collection. Mm. <laughs> so we were really yeah. paying homage to yeah. female blues artists. Mm. Um, and and then slowly but surely, you know, we started to incorporate, um, you know, the, the male perspective mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, started doing some... You know, some Howling Wolf and mm-hmm. some Muddy Waters and yeah. some of the other, some BB. Um, and then slowly but surely, we mm. started to evolve. It was almost like halfway through our career yeah. that and I'm like, oh, you know, I used to write for Misty Blues. Right. I, you know, <laughs> we can write some We can blues. do our, yeah. our own music. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so that's what got you into thinking. All right, we can have our own our own pieces. Yeah. What was the appetite for blues music then? Because we're going to fast forward to 2022 mm-hmm. when you had uh, one million songs streamed mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Spotify. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you go from covering yeah songs, writing your own, yeah, to having a phenomenal year. Many many mm-hmm. years later, yeah. What was that? Tell me a little bit about that journey. I mean, from those days of when people were they interested in blues? Were they not? I don't know. No, I mean, when you go back in the Berkshires, you go back in that time, there are many more venues. Okay. There were many more opportunities to play. I mean, even like in the early 90s with Cold Connection, we were playing easily four or five days a week. Wow. Yeah. I mean there there were times I would I we would do three shows in a uh, in a weekend wow. day. Yeah. One single day in the week. <laughs> wow. Um so you know, there was a much broader appetite for mm-hmm. live music back then. Yeah. And then it started to wane and we started to lose these venues. Mm. Um but we've always had yeah. a really good um 
turnout mm. for for our shows. And I think in great part is that uh, we didn't put ourselves so tightly in a box. Yes, we are a blues band, but we do, you know, we do kind of bring in influences from other genres. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm the guide. You know, I look at an audience and I'm like, okay, what are they into? I'm like, okay, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this. So and you I'm, scan I'm, the crowd before, yeah. okay. as we're playing. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we got to switch this up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we were just, you know, we had this wealth of songs. Yeah, you know, two, three hundred songs in our back pocket, and as we're playing along, we had an idea of what we'd like to do that night, but. That could go out the window if that's not what the crowd was. So into. you 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 basically take a um, you read the room, yeah, and you take the temperature, yeah. And if people if they seem to be the crowd that wants the more yeah. Yeah. up tempo, then yeah. you're like, okay, let's yeah. let's yeah. keep it going, keep it going. And if you see that they're kind of like not responding yeah. to that, maybe you're like, let's take it yeah. down a okay. notch. <laughs> Okay, we're right. so, we're the coffee house band now, right? Yeah. Right, you, and that's good because that shows that you are in sync yeah. with your audience. It's not just you already saying I am going mm-hmm. to play my set, yeah, and that's it, right? And you're going to love it yeah. or else, whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. you're actually saying, no, I I want to make sure that when you leave, mm-hmm. you have a great experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. the hardest thing was getting people to get on board with our own music mm-hmm. people just they they love hearing stuff they know yeah um so we figured out a way okay we'll give you this you know and then we're gonna sneak, sneak it in sneak it in <laughs> and look you're still dancing yeah. you don't know you don't even know you don't even know <laughs> <laughs> and we wouldn't say anything right, right, until just, afterwards. Right. By the way, that was ours. Right. <laughs> and they're like, really? Yeah. And you're like, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. All right. So, I mean, again, listen, that one million song streaming on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, if that wasn't just the best news ever, <laughs> you were... On so Misty Blues was on the voting ballot. Yeah, for with for, the Recording Academy. Yeah, for like three, you know, <laughs> different categories. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. I yeah. mean, this little Berkshire's band, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that was that That's was incredible. Awesome. It was incredible. You know, yeah, I would have loved. Could to. you have <laughs> imagined that? Right? Could you have imagined that back in 1999? No, no. That if know. someone told you, Gina, <laughs> I'm telling you here in 1999, <laughs> you could be on the docket. You're going to be in the docket. <laughs> what would you have said? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. How like, but you know, though, it's it was such a big dream. And the thing is that it's 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 amazing because even though the nomination didn't pan out, the fact that you are on their radar yeah. means yeah. that. You're not going away. No, no. And I'll tell you, this 12th album that we just finished recording that's in the mastering engineer's hands as we speak. Yeah. That's it. When will we get a taste of it? Well, we already released two singles um, from from that album. The album is officially released on um, March 31st. Okay. So the end of this month. Okay. Um, it's with a new label. Mm-hmm. It's with a you know a two time Grammy award winning executive producer, uh, new mixing engineer. Still our 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 
our, mm-hmm. our old recording engineer, mm-hmm. but a new mixing engineer, new mastering engineer, and uh, okay, and it's 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 bananas. <laughs> it's I can't wait to yeah. hear it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna find the two singles, yeah. and I'm gonna listen to them. Yeah, um, I, we, I, yeah, and we had some just really cool featured artists. I'm gonna reveal. Okay, I'm gonna. All re- right, I'm we're gonna getting re- a reveal today. We're gonna get a reveal okay. today because I think you'll appreciate this. Yes, one, one of the featured yes. artists yes. on the track is yes, Matt Cusan. Ah! Because <laughs> I just he's I think he is fan. He's amazing. Fantastic. He's amazing. He is amazing. And yeah. his mute like he is the artist that I didn't know that I would love so much. <laughs> because once I was introduced really to his music, I couldn't stop listening to it. Yeah. Well, we do a duet. And he plays keys. Yeah. Okay. What's the name of that song? One of these days. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna find it. Well, it's that no, one's not released. No, I'll find but it when, when it comes out. When it comes out, I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna listen to that because. Yeah. Um, oh, see, I was gonna ask what's next for Misty Blues, but you just brought the heat. Oh, there's more next. There's more heat. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so listen. I gotta ask you because we didn't even get into like we have like six minutes left. We didn't even get into your work, but that's okay because we stayed where we needed to stay. Mm-hmm. But obviously, how how are you balancing all of this? I mean, you have a really big job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are what what is your official title again for the Breen Center? Uh, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. That's pretty weighty. Yeah. And you're yeah. the you're still a coach for yeah. for Williams. Yeah. And you are you have your your band. Mm-hmm. You are the lead singer. Yeah. You write music. Yeah. You obviously perform at festivals. Yeah. How are you doing all of this? Oh, and your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, how are you doing all this? Can you share your secret sauce? Okay, the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. We're waiting. Um, okay. I the secret sauce comes in track 2 of this album. <laughs> I think it's track two. I could be wrong. Um, it's a song called I Don't Sleep. Mm. Oh, but Gina, you should get some. Yeah, but I don't. At all? <laughs> I, I get little, little little spurts of sleep throughout the night that probably don't amass beyond four hours. Is it because you're creative and you have so many thoughts running through your head that they keep you up at night? Because I find sometimes if I have a moment of just like it's just a phase of creativity, I find that I have so many thoughts in my <laughs> head and it definitely would want to keep me up. But yeah. you got to get your sleep, Gina. Yeah, I. it's been decades now I've been operating like this. So uh, I feel like maybe if I got some sleep, all the wheels would fall off the bus. <laughs> mm. Like, what is this? What, what is, is this eight this? hours? <laughs> Give me back my four. <laughs> I think the last time I had a really good yeah. night of sleep was yeah. when I had COVID. Oh, my gosh. Gina, it should not take sickness for you to get rest. Um, because I love everything that you're doing, and I want you to continue to do more yeah. of it. And we always say, listen, you know, when we think about that cup, right? And, you know, we you pour out and you pour out and you pour out, but you got to have something left for you. Well, you know, and is it is for you, but I'm uh, just yeah. saying, your bo- listen, your body will tell you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have always had this thing, you know, uh, there'll be plenty of time for me to rest. Hmm. I think I kind of know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> it's on deck for all of us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. Okay, well. Well, being that you have all this happening, I hate to even ask, but, you know, what do you do when you're not doing all the fun stuff that you love? When you just want to say, I'm going to just sit down and maybe watch a Netflix movie? Do you even watch TV, Gina? I, I do. I do. I, I'm... <laughs> I love those like uh, DIY kind of shows, okay, okay, you know, okay. or you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, they, those are my like guilty pleasures. Those are the times. guilty pleasures. Yeah. At least you have something that yeah. your wheels aren't spinning, and you can just sit and just take something in. Yeah, well, even for I'm a generally moment, doing something else while I'm watching. As it. you get the slab of wood and say, <laughs> "I am going to model what I am seeing." Oh boy. <laughs> I do love woodworking, though. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. How did I guess? How did I guess correctly? All right. I I need to know who or what, with all of these, the many wonderful things happening Mm -hmm. in your life, who or what keeps you motivated? My husband. Okay. Tell us why. He's he's just an absolute rock star. Um, he, you know, we dated for ten years before we got married. Yeah, I say we dated. He says uh, he was my roadie. Okay, all right, whatever. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but he's he's always been behind the music. He okay. knows that that's something that I'm so passionate about. Yeah, um, and he just you know whatever you need to do to do that. Because awesome. that that keeps you that keeps you that keeps you the way I first met mm. you, you know. <laughs> mm. um, and he's just he's a rock star of a father, and he keeps the house together, and he's just there when everything falls apart for me. <laughs> he's just he's my brace when I need to get back up. That's um, awesome. And uh, none of this, n- all the all the things that I do yeah. would be. Absolutely impossible yes. to do without his partnership. That's awesome. Um, if you had to choose one word to describe you, what would that be? One word, Gina. Resilient. Mm. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, I feel like we hit, we just touched the tip of the iceberg with your story. There are so many layers here. I got to figure this out. You are going to go into the category of my guests who I'm like, I need more time. It's not enough. Um, but I think your journey is inspiring, especially for those who think, can I make it in an environment that's unfamiliar to me? Can I succeed? And you are a testament to that. You show the possibilities, even when you didn't even know what they were yourself. (laughs) You forged a way and you made it. You came to the Berkshires and you're still here. And we're glad you're here. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsville. Thank you for listening and have a great day.